Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. We're continuing our study this morning through the book of Exodus. And I, I love preaching this book. I love this study personally as the Lord has just kind of shown us uh, more and more about who he is. And I've learned and I hope you've learned as we've been challenged a little bit in our faith uh, we'll be in Exodus 16, kind of finishing up that chapter, moving into 17 uh, more today and kind of really spending a lot of time in the first seven verses. I want to kind of uh, make sure you're clear on where we're going and that you see the big picture. I don't ever want to kind of take things out of context. I don't want you ever to be confused uh, when it comes to kind of the meta narrative of Scripture. I had a great conversation this week about kind of where we're going, right? We've already studied the plagues. While the people were in Egypt, they've come out of Egypt. Now they're in the very beginning portions of the wilderness that's going to last for 40 years. In that process, we're, we're leading up to the Ten Commandments. Those will come in the next few weeks for us. We'll spend a lot of time studying through those. And eventually the tabernacle that the children of Israel build in the wilderness. But there's this bigger picture at play that I don't want you to miss. You rewind back to Genesis chapter 3, and the Bible talks about sin entering the earth, and Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And if you remember, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2 had walked with the Lord, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. So there's this idea that the very presence of the Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? When sin entered the world, God kicked them out of Eden, removed his presence from them. Now we enter into Exodus, and God re-enters the picture, right? Through the burning bush, then through the plagues. Now he's beginning to demonstrate his power and his majesty just a little bit to the children of Israel through the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. They're beginning to see his presence again that was removed in Eden. Now it's coming back. We saw last Last week, the children of Israel saw him in the clouds. As we get into Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments, they'll see his glory demonstrated on the top of the mountain through fire and lightning and thunder. And then, watch this. Now, he's, he's exited because of sin. He's re-entering the picture. When they build the tabernacle, it's going to be built based on Eden. So there are all sorts of connections between the Garden of Eden and the way the Lord tells them to build the tabernacle. And we'll walk through all those, and I want you to see it. But it's the Lord re-entering the picture back into the lives of his people. He'll reside in the Holy of Holies, which is the part of the tabernacle that the priest could only enter once a year. And then when Christ comes, he'll fulfill that He'll enter back into our world, God incarnate, right, as Christ comes in the flesh. God will be back fully in the presence of his people, right? So there's this wonderful picture of the Lord re-entering, re-establishing back into the lives of the people that will be fulfilled ultimately in Christ, right? So this is not just one book. These aren't just individual stories. There's a grand story at play. 
right? From the beginning of creation all the way until the end, we see the Lord at work. And I hope you've seen that. I hope you're understanding that. I hope you're understanding his timing and his will and his plan. And so at this point in our account, the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. Now they're wandering in the wilderness. They've been there for a period of weeks. And the problem we're already seeing is they can't find the food they want. They can't find enough water. And so they've grumbled to the Lord. They've complained. They're upset. Lord, we should have just stayed in Egypt where we sat around pots of meat, they said, right, and ate anything we wanted. And so last week, the Lord has provided for them manna. Every day they go out and he's basically allowed this food, this bread to fall down from heaven. They get enough for the day. They eat it. They can't save it. They have to rely on him day by day, week by week, month by month for 40 years as they wander in the wilderness. And so we pick up the story now in Exodus 16. He's explained to them the food. He's explained to them how he's going to send it every morning. They're going to gather only enough for the day, except on the sixth day, because the seventh day is a day of rest. And let's read through this together, Exodus 16, beginning in verse 22. So on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, right? Two omers each. And, and scholars differ between what an omer is. Some say it's three or four or five cups. Some say it's two or three liters, right? So there's a good bit of debate about how much this was. But we know it was enough for them. One omer was enough for them to survive for one day. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now, verse 27. So on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, wide, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations. Right? They're going to preserve some of this manna. So that they may see the bread which fed you in the wilderness. And when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it. Place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an epheth. Right, so we just get this picture. Let's just back up. Let's summarize here. The Lord has provided them food every day. They go out in the morning, they find the bread, it's enough to last them only for a day. God says, listen, you eat it for this day, and you can't save it, or it'll go bad. The next day you go out, there'll be more bread for you. That's the case, except on the sixth day, 
On day number six, I'm going to provide you enough for two days so that on the seventh day, the Sabbath, you can rest. You don't have to go out. You don't have to find the food. Whatever you have left over from the day before, you can eat on the Sabbath. Now, look, there's a lot in there, but here's what we're going to do. Because I understand that we're coming up to the Ten Commandments here in just a few weeks. One of the commandments is the Sabbath day. We're going to set this teaching aside. We're going to hold off on thinking about and teaching about the Sabbath until we get to the Ten Commandments. So when we get there, I want you to remember Exodus 16. And I want you to be reminded that the Lord has already built into their culture, built into his law, this idea of a day of rest, a day of Sabbath, right? He created the earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Just as he rested, so should we. Now, let's continue. Exodus chapter 17, what we're really going to get into this morning. So all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink, right? We see the same idea again. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock. The water shall come up out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us? Or not. Now let's stop there for a minute. That's a lot, right? We see the same idea. We've been seeing kind of the same message, the same theme, right? The, the Lord has taken these people out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They grumble. They complain. They're upset with the Lord. But another theme that we've seen that I really want to hone in this morning is really foundational for us to understand this text is the theme of Jesus. Now, if you've been with us for a period of weeks, you'll understand that as we've worked through the book of Exodus, several different times, we've seen the story of Jesus built into this account, right? And we've made the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how the Lord has looked back on the children of Israel and shown them time and time again exactly who Jesus was going to be, exactly what Messiah would accomplish. Now, the people of Egypt, the people of Israel at that time didn't fully understand it. But as we look back, as we understand history, as we have the complete canon of Scripture, we get this picture, this clear understanding that Jesus is found really throughout the book of Exodus. Now, this is another example today that I want you to see. So I've got another Scripture for you in the New Testament that's going to draw this direct line between Christ and the people of Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Put that on the screen if you would for me, please. We've got 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the writings of Paul. Now, as we read this, remember, this is written centuries after the Exodus. Centuries after the people of Israel had wandered the wilderness. 
But Paul is looking back, and I want you to see if you can pick up on the themes that Paul brings out here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware. Why? Because some of us aren't going to notice this, right? Paul says, don't be unaware of this. Pay attention, brothers. That our fathers, he's looking back in history now, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, right? The Red Sea, they passed through walking under the cloud as the Lord led them through the wilderness. Verse 2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, right? So the Lord, Moses, uh, Paul says, the Lord led them through the sea, the Lord led them with a cloud. The Lord gave them, in verse 3, spiritual food. That's the manna. Now, here's the connection for this morning. I want you to see verse 4. And they all drank the same spiritual drink. The water the Lord's providing for them is the spiritual drink. The manna he's provided is the spiritual food. Watch. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Watch. And the rock was Christ. So Paul looks back on the people of Israel. Paul looks back on Exodus 15, 16, especially into 17. Paul says, listen, God provided you with spiritual food. God provided you with spiritual water. When you think back to Exodus 17 and the rock at Horeb, when Moses strikes the rock and the water comes from it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 4, that the rock was Christ, right? And so everything we're going to see this morning in Exodus 17, there's a direct line drawn from Exodus 17, the people of Israel, all the way centuries ahead to Jesus. Paul says, listen, don't be unaware of this. Don't just pass right through this. Understand it. Understand who Christ is and how he worked. And so I'm going to preach Exodus 17 based on Jesus, right? Jesus wasn't alive in Exodus in the way that we think. He obviously existed. He had not yet come to earth as a human. But we're going to see throughout this passage of Scripture that Jesus, as Paul says, was the rock in this text. So here's the first truth I want you to see based on Exodus 17. Number one, Jesus is our guide, Jesus is our guide. Now, let's understand what happens. I want you to miss it. There, 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 there's, so much, there's so much nuance when you really get into the text and you begin to study it and try to understand it. I, want you, I don't want to miss some of these subtle little reminders that are crucial for our understanding, right? We, we've already seen the grumbling and the complaining. Nothing new for us. The people of Israel are wandering in the desert. They're like, Lord, why don't, why don't you just let us die You shouldn't have brought us out here. We could have stayed in Egypt and been a lot better. Just a a subtle, not so subtle reminder, we shouldn't be complaining and grumbling, right? In fact, the scripture is kind of filled with that idea. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Philippians 2, 14, do all things without grumbling. James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another. Here's a simple biblical truth. Don't grumble, don't complain. Instead, when you kind of get the desire to do those things, instead, go to the Lord in prayer. In fact, Philippians chapter 4 says it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, 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 but in everything. 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? So just a reminder, the people of Israel are grumbling, they're complaining. Moses, when he hears their grumbling, goes to the Lord, he prays to the Lord. But let's remember what's happening. I want you to see this. I want you to notice something. This is very significant. Pull up Exodus 17, 6 again, if you would, please. I want you to see exactly what's going on. Exodus 17, verse 6. Behold, this is the Lord speaking. I will stand before you there on the rock at, what's the next word there? Let's try it again. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, right? You're like, Horeb, that's a... It's an interesting word. Have I, have I heard that before somewhere? Back up to Exodus 3. Don't look it up. I just want you to listen to me, right? Exodus 3, Moses has been wandering the flocks. Remember, he's been working for his father-in-law Jethro. He's been wandering in the wilderness. This is before he even goes back to Egypt. He's a shepherd. He comes to the burning bush, right? When God is going to reinsert himself physically back into the lives of the people of Israel through the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3 Beginning in verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to, you want to guess? Horab, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now watch. The same place where the Lord spoke to Moses through the burning bush, is the same place the Lord has now led the people of Israel in verse 6. It's the same spot. It's the same place. You don't know this yet. You're going to see as we get closer to this time. It's the same place here in just a couple of chapters. The Lord is, given, is going to give to his people the Ten Commandments. Right. So you've got this rock of Horeb where the Lord has spoken to Moses through the burning bush. The Lord has now, watch, led his people. Not randomly, but with purpose and intent back to this place to speak to them again, to give them now this spiritual water to drink. He's going to allow them to stay there, and he's in just a few chapters going to give them the Ten Commandments, the greatest law the world has ever known, right? So the children of Israel thought they were wandering aimlessly. They thought they were just going through the wilderness, had no real idea what was happening. The Lord had a plan for them from the beginning, those of you that think you're just wandering through the wilderness with no plan, understand, please, God has a plan. God is leading you to very specific places for very specific reasons. And he has purpose for you when you get there. You know, as you, as you live a few years, and, and some of you will appreciate this, you look back on your life and you begin to understand how the Lord worked in ways you didn't fully understand back then. You ever experienced that? We had a conversation this weekend. We were sitting at home, Amy and I, with our daughters, and we were talking a little bit about life, right? When you have daughters, you talk about life a lot with them. Praise the Lord. I'm glad they want to talk with me about it. I'm always happy to talk to them about that. We had this conversation about life and decisions and moving forward and, and years ahead. And we both, Amy and I both said, listen, we know now looking back on our lives that the Lord led us into certain things and allowed us to, to go through certain trials so that he could prepare us for what he's got in store for us right now. Why? Because the Lord's always at work. And at the time, I had no idea. Like if you'd have talked to me when I was 25, I had no plans on being a pastor. It never even crossed my mind. I wasn't the kid that ran from it. I was never called to it. I had no idea what the Lord was going to do. 
When I was teaching school, I had no idea that I'd one day stand before a congregation of people and deliver God's word. But I look back now, and those 10 years in a classroom greatly prepared me to do what I'm doing now. I didn't know it then, but I look back on it now, and the Lord had a plan for me from the beginning. He's doing something in my life right now to plan and prepare me for the future. Right? God didn't bring them to the mountain of Horeb by accident. This wasn't some random journey they were taking. The Lord is directing their path with purpose and intent, right? The Lord is our God. Jesus is our God. He has a plan for us in place. We've got to be willing to trust him and follow him. And when it feels sometimes like we're just wandering, always understand that God is in control. That God has a purpose. God has a plan. Now let's see what he says in verse 5. So the Lord said to Moses, Right, the people are grumbling, they're complaining, they're angry, they don't have food, they don't have water. The Lord says, pass on before the people. And I, I, this is Adam talking. I'm not saying I can back this up scripturally. But it's kind of like the Lord's just saying, just forget about them. Just move on, move on past them. Right? Pass before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, taking your in the staff in which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Right, There's the plan. You strike the rock, water shall come out of it, and the people will drink, right? Jesus is our guide. He brings us to places for specific reasons. Truth number two, Jesus is our foundation. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that this wasn't an anthill at Horeb or a river at Horeb or sinking sand. This was a rock. This was a place that had been there for centuries before, will be there centuries after. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be firm. I'm going to stand upon me. You build your life. In case you haven't noticed, it seems like the world is getting crazier and crazier. Am I the only one? And everybody's got their opinion about all kinds of things. I'm not about telling you my opinion. I'm happy to go to lunch with you, but I'm not going to do it from up here. But it does seem like things are getting crazy. And it seems like the world is spinning out of control. And it does seem to me as if the Bible and Christianity are coming more and more under attack. And I can point to some truth there. And you can go and you can read about what other countries are doing. You can go and read about what places in our country are doing as far as Christianity. I read an article this morning about a place in India that's trying to pass a law that would greatly limit Christian counselors and the things they could say to their patients. It's true. And I'm thinking, what's going on, man? What's going on with the world? It seems like things are spinning out of control. Listen, as things spin more and more out of control, we need to stand more and more on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. He's the rock. How many of you have ever been down and done the high ropes course at Kelly Gardens? Anybody? Great. Three or four of you. Great. Y'all all really get this in. Good job. So, Put a harness on, right? You climb up in a tree, zip through lines. It's really cool. You've seen it on TV if you hadn't done it. Well, the neat thing about a high ropes course is from the ground, it's easy. 
problem, man. When you get 70 feet up in a tree, it's a different story. And we went several years ago with our whole family. My sister and, and, and her husband and their kids went with us. And, and almost everybody went. Not everybody. We gave everybody a choice, but most people didn't. We did the add-on version over the lake, right? And the, the one over the ground is cool. The lake is higher and bigger. And there's one point where the highest point is about 70 feet off the ground. And we strategically kind of did it so we'd have like a kid, an adult, a kid, an adult. So if somebody got stuck or scared, we'd kind of be, be there to, to talk them through it. I think somebody needed to talk me through it. Because I got up to the top of that 70-foot deal. That's a long way off the ground. Now, you might be thinking, well, 70 feet. I mean, I'm sure they had like a, a, a tower there and um, like concrete uh, uh, pylons down into the ground and six-by-six six posts and steel. Nope, it's up in a pine tree. That's what it is. 70 feet up, a little platform that seemed like it was about four inches wide when I was up there. And in case you don't know this about pine trees, they move. And the higher up you go, it seems like the farther they move. And we're up there, and, and, and my little niece, Maylee, uh, who's just a firecracker. She's little, but just goes and energy and gymnastics and always happy about everything and she was behind me and so I kind of did the real long one and I get all the way to the pine tree Lydia my daughter is already there and so we're kind of we're hanging on for dear life we're like swaying in the breeze acting like everything's cool and Maylee comes zipping down and Maylee is really little and because Maylee's so small she can't even sheer gravity doesn't bring her all the way to the tree right and so she stops about 50 feet from the tree. Now, this is probably a 300-foot-long zip line. I don't know how big it is, out over the lake. Maylee now is suspended 70 feet above the ground, hanging, and Uncle Adam is just wigging out, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, Maylee remembered that they had done some training. They said, listen, if you ever get stuck, lean back and just pull yourself along the rope all the way up. And so Maylee just cool as a cucumber. Man, she just pulls her. Uncle Adam is just wigging out, man. We're swaying back and forth. I'm freaking out. She's hanging on for dear life. Sometimes it feels like the world's like that to me. I will never forget getting back down on the ground and just almost, I didn't do this, but almost like, you know, you see people kiss the ground. Man, there's a lot of comfort when everything is just solid. And I look around the world right now, and it seems like we're swaying. People are hanging out on ropes. They're not sure where they're supposed to go. People are nervous. Listen, now more than ever, we need a foundation. Do you understand that? We need to stand on something that's not going to move. Right? The thing I love about Scripture, it's been the same for 2,000 years. Ever since the Lord gave it to us. It's clear. You may not always like it. You may not always be happy about what it says, but it's in there, and it's true, and it's foundational for us. Right? We build our lives on the foundation of Christ. He is the rock. Now, let's finish this thing up. Look at verse 5 again. So the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Now listen to the instructions the Lord gives. You shall strike the rock, water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Now remember, we've already made the connection. Paul's made the connection that Jesus is the rock, right? So he's our guide. He's led these people back to this place for intent and purpose. 
He's now given them the foundation upon which to build their lives, the absolute truth, right? Jesus is our foundation. And now here's the third thing I want you to see. Number three, Jesus is our salvation. He's our living water. Right? From the rock comes this living water. I'm reminded of Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, right? We, we may not always recognize it, but that, that unsettled feeling we have is a thirst for the Lord. Did you know that? And oftentimes we, we try to fit a, a square peg into a round hole and we, we can't quite understand why things aren't going right. It's because we're trying to seek the answers in places other than in Christ. Right? Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our living water. Now, I love connections here. Right? I love the connection that Paul has made. I love the connections we've already seen of Jesus throughout the book of Exodus. But let me remind you of a connection here that's very clear. Right, John chapter 4, remember the Lord has said, hit the rock, water's going to come from the rock, it's going to provide for you physically. Right, John chapter 4, Jesus tells his disciples, we've got to go through Samaria, which didn't make any sense to anybody because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. But we find this story in John chapter 4, John tells us that Jesus and his disciples walked through Samaria. And I'm going to pick up in John chapter 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Right? Jesus and his disciples had stopped at the well. They're thirsty. So this, what, this woman from Samaria comes to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Right? She gets it. You shouldn't even be here, Jesus. You shouldn't even be talking to me. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where do you go to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, he's pointing at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, listen, you're going to drink this water and be physically filled, just like they did in Exodus chapter 17. But I'm offering you spiritual water. I'm offering you something that if you drink it will give you eternal life. You're like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the fountain of youth? Are we talking about explorers looking for the fountain of youth? If you find this and you drink it, you'll physically live forever. No, no, no. Jesus isn't talking about physical life here. He's talking about spiritual life. Ephesians 5 Excuse me, 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus says, listen, I'm offering you spiritual water here. I'm offering you living water. I'm offering you salvation in me. A lot of us, a lot of us try to find nourishment. We try to quench our thirst in a lot of different ways, don't we? Oftentimes outside of the word of God. Jesus says, listen, if you'll just listen to me. <laughs> if you'll just let me be your guide. 
if you just build your life on the foundation of who I am, if you'll just drink this spiritual drink, if you'll just repent of your sins and accept Christ, then I will save you, right? Who is guiding you? That's the question. What are you building your foundation on? How are you quenching your thirst? If it's not Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. Trust him and allow him to do great work in your life for his honor and for his glory.